Kia ora koutou. welcome to the panel RNZ National. Joe McCarroll and Mark Sainsbury with me today. First up, Countdown is a step closer to adopting body cameras. This in response to the increasing amount of abuse hurled at retail workers. A trial of body cameras was considered in the wake of a stabbing, the stabbing attacks in Countdown Dunedin in which four people were injured. Countdown's manager of corporate affairs, Kerry Hannafin, said there are approximately 180 abuse events reported a week. There has been a 60% increase in abuse in the last year at Countdown supermarkets. But what do we need to bear in mind when it comes to a society where cameras are everywhere, including on our persons? With us is Dr. Andrew Chen, Research Fellow at Auckland University's Koitu Centre for Informed Futures, whose expertise includes IT surveillance, facial recognition, including CCTV. Dr. Chen, kia ora. So, yes, um, interesting news this afternoon. I mean, what are the ramifications, do you think, of wearing uh, body cameras in in an area like a retail um, area? Yeah, so I think the first thing is that the supermarket does have an obligation to explore that can help protect the health and safety of their employees. Um, I'm quite sympathetic and uh, empathetic to the staff members who are facing the abuse. I've faced abuse as a retail worker before, and it's not nice. Um, so I think it, it, it is clear that the scope of the problem has gotten worse bad enough that we probably do need to do something about it. Um, but in terms of whether or not body cams are the correct sol- solution to that problem, um, firstly, in terms of privacy and surveillance ethics, you know, they fall under similar obligations and requirements as CCTV cameras. Um, so Countdown already has an appropriate policy for collection, storage and use of CCTV footage. Um, I imagine that they would be able to figure out how to make that okay for body cams too. I'm actually less worried about the camera aspect of the body cam mm. um, as much as the audio aspect. Oh, how so? so? Yeah, so they talked about um, the body cams being able to solve a problem that the CCTV cameras yeah. can't in terms of being able to pick up verbal abuse. Um, and you get a lot of verbal threats where you know the person might look like they're just having a nice everyday conversation, but they're actually saying some pretty awful things. Um and there are actually different rules around recording conversations and what people are saying. So the Crimes Act has a specific crime for recording a conversation that you're not participating in without the consent of the people in that conversation. Um, why would, why, are, why know, would that be, Andrew? Why would that be? I mean, if you want to sort of crack down on uh, r- abusive behaviour, surely audio is a, f- a, a, a big step, a good step. Yeah, I think it would be necessary to crack down on that type of abuse. Um, So there are certain things that they could do to mitigate that risk. So, for example, they talked about um, the staff member pushing a button on the body cam to actually start recording so that they're only recording when there is something happening as opposed to recording all of the time. Um, And there are other aspects like uh, making sure that the footage is only ever going to be used for um, reporting these abuse incidents and not for anything else. Um, whether that's you know marketing advertising or um, for the supermarket to use that against the staff members as surveillance of staff, um, there are these other sort of additional use cases that could come up when you use these technologies. Um, and it's 
not that the technology itself, therefore, is bad. It's that we have to have the right governance processes yeah. in place. Well, speaking of, uh, we'll go to our panelists now. But speaking of tech, I mean, uh, I guess I, I'm asking also, what's the price of a peace of mind? And I want to ask the listeners: Can you see a day where we all wear a body cam? I went online and looked for two hundred and sixty bucks. You can get, for example, a Transcend Drive Body Pro with night vision, uh, good resolution, snapshot button capture still images. Uh, would you wear one? Text me, 2101. Joe. Well, I'm a bit depressed to be having the conversation, to be honest. I mean, why? Well, I Peace just, of mind. I, What's the price of peace of mind? I mean, I think if um, we've come to the point as a society where we have to wear a body camera to protect us while we're just going about our lives, working in our place of work, walking around the streets, shopping in the shops, we have to wear a body camera to protect us from abuse and death threats and violence. Like, are we are we asking the wrong question, whether or not you should wear a body camera or whether or not people are... That the the fact that people feel entitled to be vile and abusive to um, supermarket staff members, and I worked in a supermarket for several years. One of my nieces works in a supermarket today. You know, no one's these are people. Um, I think that is what is shocking and disappointing. But people have body, people have cams on their helmets when they cycle. Stay there, Andrew. Let's go to um, Mark and uh, and uh, have Andrew have a response. Yeah, look, I'm I'm a bit worried about the whole thing. Whether we're getting into this surveillance society, so everything will be filmed. Now, I feel sorry for those people working in the supermarkets. And I I was listening to Kerry talking to Catherine earlier on today, and a lot of it seems to be over things like cigarettes and booze and being refused that sort of stuff, the mask issues. So it's obviously got it's obviously got worse. But Andrew, I just want to ask you about one of the things you mentioned. So, if I am a supermarket employee and I'm there, if I'm recording, say Wallace comes in and goes nuts and starts abusing me, and I'm recording him, that's okay but if I saw Wallace and Joe say having a set to and recorded it, that wouldn't be is is that the difference? You can record your own conversation but not if you're not party to it? Uh, Under the Crimes Act there's that specific um, clause there Yeah. so if it's your conversation um, you can record it but there are all sorts of things to do with consent there um, that make it a little bit tricky Um, and you know we've seen cases of sort of secret recordings of conversations between employers and employees that have a different set of um, power dynamics and that sort of thing that mean that uh, the, the same rules don't necessarily apply everywhere. Yeah, big response to this. Someone says, um, wake up. These poor supermarket people have been abused and traumatised since COVID. More cameras would be good. Um, or someone says, Joe is just so right. Well, actually, I mean, I think the most depressing thing of all is I was reading about it being trialled in Australia and there was an exponential decrease in these attacks, at which point I'm like, people know what they're doing. This is not people who are affected by um, mental illness or drugs or acting in a way that is outside of their control. They know what they're doing, and it's disgusting to talk to another human being in that way. Andrew? Yeah, I mean, I think that Countdown has to do what it can in this situation to look after its staff, and that's just because of what we are becoming as a society. So if you're one of the people who doesn't want Countdown to wear body cams, then Countdown actually kind of aren't the right people to blame. It's the people who are perpetuating the abuse who we need to be you know, talking to. Um, and I think, you know, some will argue that this will normalise, uh, that this type of surveillance technology becomes mm. normal. Um, and where does it end? But I'm generally not a fan of slippery slope arguments. Right. In my mind, the harm that's being experienced here is 
sufficient enough in impact and scale that we need to do something about it. Um, it's easy to call this sort of thing an overreach when you're not the one that's experiencing yeah. the could, harm. Could it be turned against them? I mean, say, could I go into a supermarket and say, that, that one of your staff abused me or was rude to me, I want the body cam footage? Yeah, I mean, th- th- it is very different in a supermarket setting, but where body cams are generally being used overseas is in police. Um, and the majority of the discourse around body cams overseas is not that it's a tool to help keep police safe, but it's to reduce brut- police brutality. Um, so rather than protecting the wearer in those contexts, the body cams aren't really a shield for the wearer and more of an accountability tool. Um, and, and so it is possible that you know, if there was an allegation of misconduct in the workplace, that the supermarket could try to use this type of footage against that person. Um, so, you know, as a worker, um, you know, you, you would want to be thinking about that. Um, my understanding is that Countdown is engaging with the unions. Yes. Um, and they they need to talk to their workers and find out, you know, do they feel that having these body cameras would, on average, improve or worsen their situation? Interesting um, topic, isn't it? Um, um, finally, is there another way, perhaps, because it's proven quite controversial on the um, on the texts here um, for and against? Is there another way? Is there a better way to protect staff? Are we asking the right questions, as as Joe says? Yeah, I mean, short of fixing society, which is a <laughs> tough call. That the we panel, <laughs> the panel, Andrew. You know, we can do it. Um, it it's a stretch, yeah. Andrew, but. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the options are, you know, you, you've got different options. Um, you could always have more security guards. You could have more police. Um, but a lot of these are just treating the symptoms, right? And uh, the underlying cause of the problem is not actually Countdown's problem. So when you look at the options that are available to Countdown, they, they don't have many choices to actually solve the underlying causes of these issues. Very nice to have you on the programme, Dr Chen. Kia ora. That's uh, Andrew Chen, Research Fellow at Auckland University's Koi Tu Wallace. Uh, I have just witnessed 30 minutes ago, whoa, a lot of texts coming through on this one. I'll just, here we go. Witnessed 30 minutes ago at Point Chev Countdown, a shoplifter trolling out with unpaid goods. And when staff pointed out she hadn't paid, replied with, I can't say what she said. It's very abusive. A lot of theft takes place at supermarkets. I am all for body cams with audio. Yeah, I absolutely think that that's what's needed to keep people safe. And I would also say to anyone listening who's like, that's terrible that people are treated that way, hold everyone around you to a higher standard. Like, don't allow people to display that kind of anger in situations, particularly when the person that they are responding to is not at the same... Uh, cannot really stand up for themselves because of the nature of their job or the power dynamic. What about you, Monk? Before we move on, would you would you would you be happy to, as part of a future society, maybe uh, twenty thirty, um, walk down Lambton Quay? You offer a quiet glass of wine. You put your body cam on uh. just in case anything happens. I mean, I, well, why the groan? Because I can't think of anything worse. It's, it's two hundred and sixty nine bucks. It's, it's, it's nothing for night vision. <laughs> I don't. A, I don't know whether people. I mean, what are we? What are we doing it for? So we're all going to become everything. Everything is going to be surveilled. We record our entire lives in case something goes wrong. Yeah, that's where. Look, I think where people are at risk and people are being abused, like in this scenario, I think it's inevitable. I think it's inevitable that is that that is that is that is going to happen. But it's just. I mean, I don't want it in my. 
in my own life. It's sort of like. Who are you? Just before we move on. Oh, I've got to 260 say bucks, body cam, <laughs> it's peace not the, of mind. Not a bargain. It's a transcend drive <laughs> body price pro. Price is not the issue. You, well, well, the, wait, you haven't heard the resolution. Uh, 1920 by 1080 resolution at 30 FPS. Look, you see, you, not, you've got I've the warehouse syndrome, Wallace. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> 19 past form. It's good to see the sun again, but after all the rain we've had, it's shining on some crumbling roads and new potholes. Many motorists are trying to seek compensation from Waka Kotahi on vehicles that need repair after hitting potholes. Our next guest reckons they won't have much luck there. John Baird is from Porthole, Norton. Watch John Kyoto. Um It must have got so bad in Norton that there is now a Facebook page dedicated to potholes, and it's a busy little page you've got. Yeah, kia ora, Wallace. Um, it is a busy page, and it's um, growing rapidly. You've got, got um, going very fast, and yes, there's a lot of concern up here. Um, the roads have got really bad. Yes, from the last bout of rain, which was considerable, um, uh, have the potholes just increased in number? The existing potholes have got bigger. What are you seeing? Uh, look, every time we get a dose of rain, and, and you know, look, we get doses of rain really often up here, and sometimes it's very serious, like the last lot. Um, but we get a lot of rain during the winter, and all the time, every time, we're affecting the. Um, the water table underneath the substrate for the road, and uh, if we get a heavy truck over that, we have a lot of logging trucks up here, then that's doing damage to the road. That's when we get the potholes. Um, yep. Have you seen people out on the side of the road changing tyres due to hitting a hole? Well, I've been out on the side of the road on State Highway 1 myself, um, changing a tyre and the um, hosing down rain, and... Um, I developed a few friends on that trip just near Toai. Um, I reckon there was probably about five that stopped near me, and I imagine um, several others as well. Before we get to our panellists, I can imagine um, hitting a pothole, going at speed, John, hitting a pothole, it can really throw the car. I can imagine it can be incredibly dangerous. Look, that's what got me activated to do a Facebook page because um, there was a pothole on the road out to our place and it's right before a bridge and I was extremely concerned someone had hit that and run into a single lane bridge, run into the side of the bridge. Um, and I thought about what I could do about it. I did the standard thing, um, called the numbers. In fact, I called 555, which you get redirected to 111. Um, interesting. And they were good. They took care of it. But it's, um, it's about... 12 to 24 hours before it gets fixed or up to two days. And during that time, it's dangerous. What do you think... I mean, this has kind of got a few factors behind it, John, but what do you think the key factor is? I mean, we're we're talking about weather events and the increasing frequency of such weather events, which I guess is climate change, but, I mean, the increase in heavy trucks has to be a a massive factor here. It's absolutely massive up here. I mean, there's... huge amounts of logging and what happens uh, dramatically is the gravel roads there's a lot of gravel roads up here and a lot of angry people that are on gravel roads I have to say Uh, firstly the gravel roads get stuffed and then the second thing that happens um, we've got a major problem with State Highway 1 going through the Mangamukas and it's um, previously been closed for a year and it looks like it's going to be closed for at least another year. That means all the traffic travels down State Highway 10 
which is not in such good nick. Um, it's not recovered from uh, the last year of heavy traffic on it, and of course that floods as well. Um, and um, the last lot of rain, it was shut off as well. Um, but you get a lot of heavy traffic down there. Um, you get a lot of logging trucks, you get other commercial trucks, and you get a high volume of traffic now that it's everyone's re-diverted down there. Okay, Mark. Yeah, John, if I'm driving along up there and I had a pothole and I wreck my car or damage the suspension, the wheel and the tyre, who's responsible? Can I can I go to the council or to, uh, to you know, the transport agency? I mean, can I claim for that? Well, in short, no, you can't. And what they would say to you, Mark, and they say to a lot of people that endeavour to get some compensation for this is that you're responsible for driving to the conditions and look hopefully they put signs out to remind us we need to drive to the conditions and frankly I don't know how you could do it um, you don't know where the pothole is going to turn up you know if you're on State Highway 10 or on a um, council road you know that this could have been a pothole but you don't know where it's going to be and if you're not familiar with the road if you're coming up Mark then you're in serious danger of hitting one. And yeah, Richard says they're no, lo- they're no longer potholes, they're bucket holes. Yeah, and, and look, it's very, very common to hit it, stuff your tyre and put a dent in your rim, and not all those rims can be fixed. Are you um, covered by insurance? Uh, well, it depends on your insurance policy. Yeah, okay. Generally speaking, yes, but there's some catches to it. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're going to pay your excess, um, and if it's one rim, one tyre, then Gosh. you're basically paying for it yourself, probably. Um, if you've got a set of aftermarket rims and you haven't told your insurance company about them, then you're potentially in a lot of trouble. Yeah, uh, quite a few angry people. Valerie in Whangarei says, I find I watch the potholes, not the other traffic. It's a recipe um, for a disaster. Just very, very briefly before you go, John, in terms of the funding, uh, the New Zealand Herald, they reported on a billion-dollar hole in the government's transport fund. No easy fixes here when it comes to paying to fix those potholes more permanently? Oh, look, we're getting behind here. We're getting further behind. The maintenance is not keeping up. Um, so before the the hole, because of the um, fuel tax, we already had a hole with keeping up with the maintenance. Um, so but we've got a double-edged problem mm. up here, and it's a problem for NZTA, and it's a problem for the council. All right, we'll keep on talking about this pothole issue. It's very interesting. John Baird from uh, the Northland Pothole Watch. Hey, Wallace. You can, yeah. You know what you could do? Yeah, you could put one of your $260 cameras on the front of every car in Northland and record what damage is being done and what the, it's caused by. There you go. A decent solution. Wallace. Quick question for Wallace regarding his statements in favour of adoption of widespread body cam. Are you serious? Or are you playing devil's advocate? P.S. I'm serious. Um, I have no issue with wearing a body cam permanently on my person if required. I'd wear it to work. Happily. So there you go. 26 past four. Now, many listening to this will remember when they, where they were when they first heard this. We have reports from Paris that Diana, Princess of Wales, has been killed in a car accident and that her partner, Dodie Fired, has also been killed. They were apparently being pursued by paparazzi on two motorcycles. That was ITV. Where were you when you heard the news that Princess Diana was killed? With us now is Fiona. Kia ora, Fiona. Oh, kia ora. Hey, thanks for waiting. Tell us where you were and how you remembered. 
Um, I was a nurse in London um, at the time in a private hospital. Uh, the first clue something was wrong was that the daily papers weren't out on the newsstand, so I couldn't read anything on the mm-hmm. tube. And then once I got to once I got to work, um, I my paper said that she had broken her arm and that um, Dodie Fired was dead. But once we got to work, we we all crowded into one of the empty rooms in the hospital and watched this report that she was dead as well. And it was terrible. We didn't know what to do. So we had a little bit of a debate and then decided we'd better wake up all the patients and tell them so they didn't turn on their own TVs and find out by themselves. Oh, gosh, so you woke up the patients to tell them before they turned the TVs yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Some of them were um, as shocked as we all were, but the others were, didn't really care, I'd have to say. Yeah. It's sort of 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning being woken up from their sleep. Yeah. Oh, Fiona, kia ora. Thank you for your um, memories there. And also with us is... Glenn. Hello, Glenn. Hello, Wallace. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember it vividly because I was building a sleep out for my teenage daughter up at my house and, and uh, nearly finished and it came, listening to the radio, of course, and it came over on the news. And I thought, oh, my goodness me. And then my best friend turned up. And he goes, guess what? Lady Dies died. And I said, oh, my goodness me. But the, so I always think of this little sleep out as Lady Dies batch. <laughs> but, but as I say, it just, just seems like the other day. It's it's amazing how we can all those who were there, Glenn. How we all recall where we were, isn't it? It's quite extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know the other funny thing, Wallace. When my best friend turned up to tell me, I said, "Oh, can you hold this bit of wood? I just will need to cut it." And and, uh, and it's and the saw. I had a handsaw and a saw slipped and put a big hunk out of his head. He's balding. Uh. <laughs> and um, I said, "This is a bad day for accidents." Yeah. <laughs> I always remember that little incident yeah. as well. Oh, thanks for listening, Glenn. Thanks for your time. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, I was in um, World Fitness in Dunedin, and I was in a sauna with three other men. Uh, and the station was playing. We interrupt this program to tell you that Lady Di has died. We were all naked. We all got out. Um, nothing on. Freedom suits, and just stood in the. <laughs> We all grieve in our own unique way, Wallace. Yeah. It was an unusual situation. And I can recall it to this day. Three guys and I standing around outside the sauna listening to the radio. Hmm. Funnily enough, I was on. Um, I was at journalism school and I was on work experience when that happened in Nelson um, with my friend Tara Ross, who so much time has passed. She is now the head of that journalism school that we both went to. And um, so the very first piece of mine that went to air on the radio was about um, Princess Diana's death. Amazing. Yeah. The Queen, recall, uh, Mark, was criticised for her silence in the there days was, that followed Diana's death. So you were there. there was anger. You reported on it. Was was there. Anger over this, because what happened is, I mean, as I said, these crowds of people are gathering around Buckingham Palace, around Kensington Palace, and the thing that I remember most is the smell from the flowers. There were literally hundreds of thousands of floral tributes were, 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 were laid out around, and just about... Over the over the fence, but the Queen they didn't. The flags weren't at half mast. Now the flag is never at half mast. The flag at Buckingham Palace is up when the Queen's in there and down when she's gone. But the public saw it as disrespectful, and they oh. and they saw it this whole thing that she'd been fighting against the firm all her life, and this was it. In death, they were cheap treating her with the same disrespect they had done in life. And Tony, that's when Tony Blair famously had to come in and sit them down, the Queen, and say, look. You know, <laughs> this is not how it's got to work. 
And of course, and they had a famous, you know, she, you know, the the Princess of Hearts and all that sort of yes. stuff. But they then lowered the flag. It was un, you know, it was like never been done before. But they suddenly had the the, the royal family was so slow to pick up on what a major thing this was and and that the, and that the love and affection people had for, for for Diana. It's funny when I was coming down here today, I was talking to a friend of mine who said that they sent flowers. Yep, they sent flowers <laughs> from here. You know, yes. it was sort of everyone felt it because that she was relatable. I mean, it's it's a bit like sort of you know how is Trump relatable to the voters in the states? It's a bit, but, but here is somebody who came from a position of privilege and all that stuff. But people loved her; they related to her. Mm. And as I said, especially people who felt they didn't fit into British right. society. Lottie from, Lottie from Littleton. I I heard the news of Diana's death on a wind-up radio. Halfway around the Annapurna circuit, trekking in Nepal, it was surreal. You're on the panel, Joe McCarroll and Mark Sainsbury with me. It is time for headlines.